0: Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. I was gone for five weeks, and before I left, we were in a sermon series in the book of 1 Corinthians uh, called Possible, right? And so we, when I left uh, about eight weeks ago, um, we... Um, we left off at the halfway mark in chapter eight um, of First Corinthians, and then I came back and three weeks ago I kind of deviated and called an audible and preached through uh, a bunch of uh, three uh, standalone sermons. But this morning we're gonna jump back into First Corinthians and start back at chapter chapter nine, and so we'll camp at First Corinthians for for a few weeks uh, back in the sermon series possible. Side note, if you weren't here last Sunday, you missed an amazing, amazing, amazing service last Sunday. Um, and I would recommend you go back and, and watch the sermon from last Sunday if you if you were not here. So here, here's a context for those of you that may have forgotten or those of you that may have been here uh, maybe for the first time or, or have come sporadically, so you kind of don't know what's going on. So we've been preaching through 1 Corinthians, which is a book that the Apostle Paul wrote. And I'll talk about Paul in a second but uh, he writes this letter to a church at a place called Corinth. Corinth is this tempestuous city. It's crazy. Um, There's all sorts of temptation there. People come to Corinth to to make it because success could be found in Corinth. People come there to climb the corporate ladder of success, and so the reason why we call the sermon series Possible, because in Corinth, because of all of the temptation, uh, that, that is in the climate and atmosphere in Corinth, it would seem like it's impossible to be a Christian. When I read through the book of Corinthians and, and read about Corinth in particular, it reminds me of our culture today. It's almost like po- Apostle Paul saw where we would be living and he wrote uh, back then for us to read now. And so I think it's it's very pertinent. And so because of all of those difficult things, uh, climates and atmospheres in Corinth and idolatry, and, and here's the two things. People were hooked on sex and success in Corinth. People were hooked on sex and success, and so it was an uh, atmosphere that was very hard to be a Christian, and so when Paul writes these letters, and we can read through some of this. This church was kind of immature, so we read some of this stuff, what he commands them to do. It can seem like it's impossible, but, but Paul writes to him because Through Christ, all things are possible. When Jesus saves us, he doesn't just save us and say, hey, you're on your own, you gotta figure this thing out. No, Jesus equips us and gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. And so the reason why we call it possible is because when we see God's commands from now on, because we have the Holy Spirit, because we have God on our side, because Jesus is interceding for us, what we see, we used to see as impossible, we can now see as possible. So no matter what your struggle is, no matter what your addiction is, no matter what thing you're stuck on, because of Christ and because of the Holy Spirit, it is no longer impossible to overcome. It's actually possible for us to overcome. In Jesus' name, amen. And so um, I want to say this at the outset, um, uh, for for those who may not be like Bible readers like that, and maybe you just kind of starting to come to church, and maybe you got saved recently, and so you don't really know the Bible that well and can't navigate through it, um, there's an important person in uh, the New Testament in particular. His name is the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul is from an area called Tarshish, which is modern-day uh, which was Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Ta- Paul was from this place called Tarsus, and so Paul was a church planter and pastor, and so Paul planted a lot of churches that we see in the New Testament, but he also, he's important to know because he also writes a large swath of what we call the New Testament. Paul writes 13 letters uh, in the New Testament, and so we look through our book through your Bible. You'll see books that Paul wrote like Romans, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, then we get to the T's, 1st Thessalonians, 2nd Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and then he writes a book called Philemon. And some scholars believe that maybe Paul had something to do, or maybe Paul wrote uh, the book of Hebrews, but the writer of Hebrews is unknown. But Paul's fingerprints through the Holy Spirit are all over the New Testament. And the reason why I'm telling you this today is because Paul kind of serves as a character, he comes to light in chapter 9. And here's what you need to know. Paul would appear to be the main character, but Paul is not the main character. Paul is kind of like a best supporting actor. He's the best supporting actor. Why is he the best supporting actor? Because the text is always about Jesus. Even when there's a main character in the text, the main actor is always Jesus. Everybody else plays a supporting role. And so here's what Paul is essentially saying. Paul is essentially saying in chapter 9, follow me, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what Paul is essentially saying. That's the overall broad view of chapter 9, follow me as I follow Christ. He will actually say that in chapter 11 when we get there, but for today, follow me as I follow Christ because Paul in chapter 8, real quick, and I'm going to read you can sit down. I know you're tired. Chapter 8, Paul talks to them about uh, not eating food that has been dedicated to idols so that they don't mess up the the weak conscience of brand new Christians. And so back in those days, people would uh, dedicate food to idols. And so for some people, it just came out of idolatry. They couldn't just eat the food with a free and clear conscience because they remember that maybe this food has been uh, offered up to idols. And so it's a struggle for them. But some Christians was like, I'm free. All I know is I'm free in Jesus' name. I don't care who they offered it to. It's time to eat. Right? And so Paul says, hey, that might be the case for you, but not everybody is where you are. So sometimes you got to relinquish and forsake the freedom that you actually do have for the greater good. Y'all got me? So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. I just gave you a semester worth of theology in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 1 through 18 says this. Paul asks these questions. Talking about freedom, am I not free Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Are you, Corinthians, are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, at least I am to you because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Here's my defense to those who question my apostleship. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? He's talking about he and Barnabas. Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the, the Lord's brothers and, and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? He asks this question to them. Who, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who, who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective now? Paul's like, I got some biblical backing for why I need to get what I got to get. Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Of course he is, but isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown, he's talking about the ministry workers, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much? if we reap material benefits from you, if others have the right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not even made use of this right that we have. Instead, we endure everything so that we would not hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know, even from back in the old covenant, those who perform the temple services eat from the eat the food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar in the same way even Jesus commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel Hmm? I heard you in the spirit for my part I've used none of these rights I put my money where my mouth is nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. I'm not even asking for your money. For it would be better for me to die than to pr- deprive or anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I'm compelled to re- preach the gospel. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for I do this willingly. I have a reward, but if unwilling, I am entrusted with a commission. What, what, what then is, is my reward if I forsake my right to payment my reward is to preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights in the gospel from the sermon series possible my sermon title this morning is gaining by losing gaining by losing let us pray um god we come to you today lord in need of your help Uh, our prayer today god is that your presence would be with us Uh, We pray that your son Jesus would be lifted up in preaching today, God. We pray that we would see him in a new way, God. We pray that through the Holy Spirit, transformation would take place in our lives, God. We pray that today you move us a little closer in Christ-like conformity. We pray today, God. That you would make us more like your son Jesus. We pray today that he gets all glory and all honor. I pray today, God, that we would grow in Christ like maturity today. I pray that you would open our minds and renew our minds and transform our minds, God, and, and let it get down in our hearts, God, so that we can live out the call of the gospel. And my, my prayer today, God, is that you would call forth a generation of people who would no longer uh, find that they are entitled, God, but today I pray that it would be the end of entitlement, that, that we would see actual freedom and sometimes forsaking our freedom, God, so that others uh, may be served and others may be helped, God. And so, Father, we pray that this would be contagious, God, that we would have a culture of, of sacrifice, a culture of love and sacrifice, God, we would, that, that we would love God and love our neighbor and so father we thank you for your word this morning god help me preach god help them listen and help them respond to the message this morning and so we pray this prayer in your son jesus name and the people of god said amen you may be seated in the lord's presence so so because paul is the example in the sermon today and paul is the greatest apostle greatest one of the greatest pastors uh, that ever lived. He he is he is the best. He he he's he's the Mike Jordan of preaching. Paul 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 is the best. He he's the Steph Curry, of of preaching. He 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 he's the best that there is at this point. And so, what makes Paul so good are, are, are a plethora of things. But but I, I wanted to kind of get a get a judgment call and survey the landscape to see uh, if people could build their own. Pastor, if people could build the the perfect pastor, what what would he look like? There's a store, and and I think in in one of the malls in the Florida Mall called called Build a Bear, and and kids can go in there and build their own type of bear. But I wonder if the Saints could build a pastor. What would that pastor look like? So so this morning, I kind of if you would just indulge me just a little bit for a little a little Christian humor, because some of you look real tight this morning. Um, If you can engage me a little humor, let's 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 survey the perfect pastor would be like. And, and I got this from all over the internet. So, so let's, let's run through a couple of things that, that the perfect pastor would be like. But the first thing that I discovered is that the perfect pastor would preach exactly 10 minutes. I'm disqualified already. Uh, he may actually mention sin, but he never hurts anyone's feelings and he never steps on anyone's toes. We feel just as comfortable coming in as we do going out. The perfect pastor always smiles and tells us exactly what we want to hear. We, we love our pastor. He's the perfect pastor because the perfect pastor would be 29 years old, not, not too old and, and not too young. He's 29, but he has 40 years of experience. <laughs> Above all, he's, he's handsome because when we bring our friends over, we don't want to be embarrassed. This pastor, he has a burning desire to work with children and teens, but because he's a passionate and merciful pastor, he spends all his time with the senior citizens. He makes 15 home visits per day to see the sick and shut in, but he's always in the office to respond to our calls and texts. He loves to spend time with his family on the weekends, although he spends all day Saturday preparing for Sunday's sermon. And he has no problem if you somehow figure out the gate code and show up to his house unexpectedly. (laughs) Not saying that that's ever happened before. He spends most of his time praying to God and studying the word of God. He smiles all the time, but with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He uses current cultural lingo accurately like lit. It's up. And outside, he uses it in the actual correct context so that he doesn't embarrass himself, his wife, or his congregants. This pastor is perfect because he never forgets a name. Even if you come sporadically, quarterly, semi-annually, he never forgets your name. He always knows when somebody is sick and needs visitation, even when no one in the church tells him. He remembers everyone's birthday, kids included, and he remembers everyone's wedding anniversary as well because he is the perfect pastor. And before and after services, even after he's preached this 10-minute sermon, he never fails to speak to each person present and will always take time to listen to you for 15 minutes as if no one else wants to talk to him, and then he'll pray with you for no less than 10 minutes because he's got time today. He also goes out to eat after church for brunch with every individual family and single person, spreading his time evenly between everyone, and he always pays for all of their meals. And he's the perfect pastor. How do we know? Because the perfect pastor makes $40 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and donates $30 of that $40 every week back to the church. He also is a perfect pastor because he doesn't overburden the church finances, so he holds down a full-time secular job as well. And that, my friends, is the perfect pastor. Now, you may say that sounds ridiculous because it is ridiculous. Uh, Theologian John Stott had a a, a little bit more, although it's tongue-in-cheek, a little bit more accurate description of what a pastor's job description is. You can read this on the screen. Here's what John Stott, theologian John Stott said, the modern pastor... Is expected to be a preacher, counselor, administrator, PR guru, fundraiser, and handholder. Depending on the size of the church he serves, he may have to be an expert on youth, something of an accountant, a janitor, an evangelist, a small groups expert, and an excellent chair of committees, a team player, and God forbid he's not a transparent leader. John Daniels added this onto it. He's also a wedding officiant, a eulogy giver, a human resource officer, and a visionary for the entire church. And above all those reasonable and very unreasonable expectations, there are only two significant things that a pastor must be and do. And I want to give you these in case you ever leave this church and go find another church. Here's what you should look for in a pastor in the pastor's most important job in the job description number one he must preach the word of God number one he must preach the word of God and number two he must be an example to the flock of God so let me give you those two Things and make it clear, clear and plain for you. Number one, he must be a faithful expositor of the word of God. And number two, he must be a faithful follower of Jesus. Number one, he must be a faithful expositor of the word of God. And number two, he must be a faithful follower of Jesus. And I wanna say this in all seriousness, no pastor is perfect. If you're looking for the perfect pastor, you will never go to church. There is no such thing as a perfect pastor. He is made in God's image, but he is just as flawed as you are. He is not perfect, but, however, he should serve as a model and example of what it means to pursue Jesus. It has often been said that people learn much more from a minister's life, perhaps even more than from his words. Let me say that again. It has been said that people learn much more from a minister's life, perhaps even more than from his words. And oftentimes the example, the example of the pastor, the example of the minister comes by the unseen and unsaid sacrifices that they make for the sake of the message and the mission. Oftentimes the example comes by the unseen and unsaid sacrifices that they make for the sake of the message and the mission. And this is what we have here in the text today with the Apostle Paul. Here's what Paul is doing. Here's the crux of the text. He is forsaking his own God-given freedom and relinquishing a right because he has a passion for the lost and for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's the the crux of the text. I'll say it again so you understand. Paul is forsaking his own God-given freedom And relinquishing a right because he has a passion for the lost and his brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's the context for the present text. The the context is found in chapter 8. And Paul has challenged the Corinthian Christians to forsake their freedom to eat certain food that they knew had been sacrificed to idols. So that they would not hinder other new Christians who struggled with eating food that was sacrificed to idols. And so here's what you need to know. Although they were free in Christ, eating idol food for newer, weaker Christians... It was messing with their conscience. They had just been brought out of idolatry. And they remembered how oftentimes in their culture, people would offer up foods to the gods, to the idols who really didn't exist. They offered food up to the idols. These people were delivered from idolatry. They turned from idolatry and turned to Christ Jesus. And so because of where they came from, it still wasn't easy for them to have the knowledge that somebody offered food to idols and for them to still eat it, although they were free. For some Christians, although they had been free, they were saved. They had no problem. They didn't care that food had been offered to idols. They idols. They said, "You know what? I'm gonna pray for it. It's blessed. It's good. In Jesus' name, let's eat." Right? That's what some of them were saying. But Paul's saying, "But saying this to those stronger Christians, out of love for God and neighbor, don't send those newer Christians back down the road they've been delivered out of." Here's what he's saying. Out of love for God and neighbor, don't send them back down the road that God had delivered them from. This is important because he says, if you do, you're going to be culpable. If they turn away from the faith, it's going to be also on you. Our Christian rights comes with responsibility. So God has given us rights. He's given us freedoms to do certain stuff. They come with a certain responsibility. So for their sake, relinquish your right, and forsake your freedom. Here's the key point in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 13. Here's the context. Here's what Paul said at the end of it. Paul said this. He makes an emphatic statement. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never eat meat again. Paul says if, if it gets in the way of somebody else not receiving or growing in Christ, I'll never eat meat again. I I will never have a piece of chicken again. I will never eat a steak again. I will never have a pork chop again. I would never eat bacon with my eggs and potatoes and toast and pancakes and and, and my waffles at first watch ever again. I felt Paul in that. And Paul says that I'm not asking you to forsake eating a certain type of food. I'm, I'm not just asking you to do it with my words. I will show you with my life, I, will, I myself will serve as a model of what it means to forsake food, although I have a right to it. And what is Paul talking about? Paul forsakes his right to receive pay and provision for his ministry work. Paul is forsaking his rights. He's forsaking his freedom to get paid for his ministry work in order not to be a hindrance to someone else getting saved or growing in Christ. And so when Paul made this statement, it posed a serious question to Paul's apostleship. So let me say this. Po- the word apostle means sent one, right? And so apostles in the Bible, a biblical apostle, uh, is, is someone who actually saw, interacted with, the resurrected Jesus. I say, b- biblically speaking, an apostle is someone who has interacted with, who has seen, experienced the resurrected Jesus. Now, I know you got questions in your head thinking, um, I've seen like 7,000 apostles out there. A biblical apostle is someone who has encountered the actual resurrected Jesus. But Paul's apostleship was called into question because he refused to take payment from the Corinthians he refused to take payment and so that's why he says am I not free am, am I not free to, to give up my rights am I not an apostle have I not seen our Lord Jesus are you not my work in the Lord and so Paul's refusal to receive payment and work a regular job at, at, at his own behest he does this so that he doesn't become a hindrance to the church and the Corinthians or the Christians at Corinth and so they were calling his apostleship into question because he refused to take money he gave up his rights, and so people questioned his apostleship. If you're an apostle, you should get paid. If you're an apostle, you should be making money. If you're an apostle and God has commanded that you get paid, you need to get paid. And Paul's saying, no, I, I relinquish those rights because I don't want to be a hindrance to somebody who thinks that preachers make too much money. So Paul, what does he do? He works a regular job, not as a Starbucks barista, but he works a job as a tent maker. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, let's look at this. This is Paul's, Paul's occupation. He says this, after this, I, he left Athens and went to Corinth where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. And so Paul came to this couple, this couple who was in business as tent makers. And since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. Paul stayed with Aquila and Priscilla, and he worked as a tent maker. And then he did that at night, and then in the day... He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. So you have a man working a full-time job at night and doing full-time ministry work during the day. So Paul is working double duty. He's doing ministry, but he's also working a regular job. And so, so this idea of a tent maker, you might be thinking, oh, that, that sounds cool. Like you put up a little tent, put a little thing in the ground, put a little thing around here. Tent is already made because you call uh, one of the local stores and you just hang up a blue tent. We had one in our family reunion. That's what you're thinking. It's not the same thing. Tents in those days were made of hard, tough leather. They were very heavy to handle typically when he was working with these this leather they they had a foul nasty smell to them they they made your hands uh, all stained up and dirty and so when you saw apostle Paul you might have saw a man who had these stained dirty hands from working with the tents and so he was working and building tents and repairing boots and repairing uh, 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 saddles that people would put on the donkeys and so Paul is working this hard arduous job outside doing manual labor and they're like dude you can't be apostle if you're working that job you can't be because apostles would never get dirty. They would never work another job. And so people despised and rejected Paul because manual labor to them in that culture, in the Greco-Roman culture, was, was reserved for slaves only. And so Paul, although he's a servant of Christ, he's doing manual slave work. And they were questioning, questioning if he was an apostle or not. And Paul is like, dude, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Did you forget my Damascus Road experience? If you want to learn about Paul, and his called to ministry, go to Acts chapter 9. We're not going to read it, but Paul is on the road to Damascus. Paul is a murderer. He kills Christians. He hates Christians, and he hates their God. And so Paul wants to get rid of all Christians, and then he's traveling down the Damascus Road, and God knocks Paul off his high horse. Paul surrenders to the Lord he goes blind God sends a man to go get Paul and says God has called you to be the mouthpiece to the Gentiles I'm calling you Paul a Jew to preach to those who are not Jewish and this is Paul's call on the road to Damascus and Paul is saying you know who knocked me on my high horse on the road to the masses? The Lord Jesus did. And here's further proof that I actually am an apostle. You are the seal of my apostleship. The simple fact that you heard the gospel, that you responded to the gospel, that you are a church now, that you've been saved and set free in Jesus' name is because God sent me to preach to you. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian not because of me but because God sent me to you. God sent me into wicked, crazy, sinful Corinth to preach the message of the good news about what Jesus has done to save and forgive sinners, and you responded to it, and now you got the audacity to question my credentials? You wouldn't be a Christian if God didn't send me to you. So am, you are my work in the Lord. You, you, you are my work in the Lord, In the same freedom you have, I have too. If you're free, then I surely am free. And so, Paul is saying, I have some freedom and some rights too. And he says these, these things in verses 3 through 6. He says, don't we have a right to eat and drink? Don't we have a right to eat and drink? Don't we have a right to be accompanied by a believing wife like other apostles? Don't we have a right to refrain from working? Paul is saying, if I came and labored among you and preached and taught and trained and discipled and exercised patience and grace with you new Christians— don't I deserve to be rewarded for my labor? You act like dealing with you is easy work. Don't I have a right to the labor? If I got my booth thing with me, if I got a chick, walk, bear, my, bear my name rocking my chain, don't she have the, the right to, to, to get paid too? If, if I want to be accompanied by a believing wife, you see, Paul was not married. Paul is saying, if I was married, I would have a right to bring my wife along with me. If you called me to come preach and travel, you should make arrangements for my wife to be able to stay too because she's supporting me while I support you. She also prays for you knowing she is praying for people who oftentimes don't even like her husband. So if I, have, if I have a wife that, that is accompanying me, sh- shouldn't she be taken care of too? And then he says, it, it don't, don't we have a right not to work? I mean, we are working. Me and Barnabas are working. I'm working by trade. I'm, do, I'm a tent maker. But don't I have a right if I wanted to not to have to work? And so I, I just want to say this. Some of you may be like, what? Getting paid to be in church? My uncle told me all these preachers do is take money. So my granddaddy said. He said, that's why I don't go to church and give money to these preachers now. Not knowing that your grandfather's never given a dollar to church. You know it's the ones that never give anything that's always talking about why they don't give to churches. If Jesus himself came, you wouldn't give anyway. So, so, so I, I, I'll level with you. The idea that preachers and, and pastors receive pay and compensation may seem foreign to you. It may seem unfair to you depending on the religious context you grew up in. A lot of people say, what? People get paid to be in church? I can't believe that. And some people are perplexed by the thought because you know everything in church is free right you know you church is free That's a like a religious organization so everything is free it's not really serious all we do is show up on you know show up on sunday morning do get another get a little book he open and read a couple passages he probably jot down a couple things on the way to church but that's it right he, he doesn't you he don't actually study that that thing right he's not like interpreting greek hebrew and aramaic is he he's not he's not reading commentaries is he he's not not putting things in his proper context is he? he's not thinking and laboring through how to build a bridge of contemporization is he he's, he's not doing fcl fail condition focus when he's preaching is he and showing how the gospel the good news applies to that is he he's not trying to draw the line of the tapestry through the bible and see how it all fits together in the picture and then Break it all down and edit it all up and explain it to you so that you can receive it and it be palpable to you and understandable. He's not doing that all the week. I mean, he just shows up on Sunday morning and makes it up. I mean, that is probably true for a lot of pastors. And some some are like, okay, I didn't know that. And then some, some of you are just put off by because of what you've seen on TV. And, and, you, then they, and, and, and what happens in Well, what happens in the world? They highlight a preacher, they always highlight the guy who's asking for $30 million to fuel his jet. Not knowing that that's not the real life of many. Most most churches have about seventy-five people. and The average church has about seventy-five people in the church, and most pastors don't get paid anything at all, or barely. They get a little something, something, depending on where they serve at as a church. Most pastors do by vocational ministry, and, and, and so what throws you off is what you see on TV and on social media, and you see people doing weird stuff in the name of God, telling you if you would just, leave, ma'am, you watching that TV. I see you in front of the screen right now. If you would sow that $10,000 seed right now, I tell you, by tomorrow, you're going to have a financial breakthrough. And I'm thinking, if she just pays off her debt with the $10,000, (laughs) that will be the financial breakthrough. We could just cut out the middleman. Ma'am, if you just... Sow that $10,000 seed, I'm going to send you some water that came down a rock in Jerusalem, and you're going to be healed by the time that money gets in on the website at the donate button, ma'am. If you sow that $10,000, grandma, I know that you're watching. You're 75 years old, you don't have a phone, don't you worry. Just send the money to the PO Box at the, below the screen, PO Box seven seven zero two ninety five ninety five 9595 Las Hacienda, California. And by the time you put that stamp on that thing and send it in the mail, you too, ma'am, will get a healing at 72 years. You, you will stop aging in Jesus' name at 72. She's going to stop aging because she might die, not because she's getting healed. And you see that, and you're like, no, nah, I'm good. But that's not the true picture. In, in reality, most pastors don't live that way. More times than not, they live getting by week to week because the church sees them as bellhops and not as God's servants. They see their local pastor labor and preach and teach and go to the hospital and do the wedding and go to the funeral home and host the life groups and take people out during the week and then take weeks out during the summer to train and develop new leaders and to go out to dinners throughout the week in the evening and in the morning and pray for people and counsel people and be a human resource officer and a loan officer and all of those different things. And take no consideration whether somebody's taking care of the pastor while they while he's taking care of them. And Paul says emphatically, what do you mean? What do you mean we don't have a right to compensate? What do you mean we don't have a right? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who does that? Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat some of the fruits from the vineyard? Who shepherds a flock and doesn't drink some of the milk from the flock? what, What soldier gets his own gear, his own guns, his own ammunition, his own food, his own medical supplies, and all of those things when he's out in war? And let me tell you, I oftentimes think that being a pastor is far more dangerous than being a soldier, or at least it's equivalent it's worse sometimes because the same people you're in the foxhole with, shooting with, will sometimes get out of the foxhole and turn their guns and shoot at you. Th- this is the reality of it. What, what farmer or, or gardener doesn't plant a vineyard and, and then get a little bit of the fruit off the tree? Even if he shares with other people, he eats some of what he plants. But what shepherd, shepherd's a flock and doesn't drink some of the milk? Here's what he's saying. If anybody works doing anything... They should be rewarded for your work, for their work. When you go to your job Monday through Friday, if they don't run you your check biweekly, it's going to be problems and repercussions for somebody. You're not going to be patient at all. You're not going to have no understanding. What? The company's down. We in the red. I ain't got what that got to do with me. The recession, I don't care you're doing layoffs. What that got to do with me? I ain't laid it off. I'm here, right? You have no understanding. None whatsoever. Run me my check. You got no understanding. Have you seen these gas prices? Do you know I live in Altamont Springs? I got to drive all the way to Lake Mary to come to work. Do you know that I live in Ocoee and I got to drive all the way to the east side of town, come all the way to UCL to work, and you say you ain't got my money? You wouldn't have no understanding. You get on Facebook, let me tell you about this company right here. Let me tell you about Enterprise. Let me tell you what they are doing to their employees. Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about Disney. (laughs) But when it comes to 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 the people who serve you and pour spiritual things into your life, you take no thought for it. Paul is saying this is not even, that's practical, but I'm not even saying this from a practical perspective. Look at verses 8 through 11. Here's what Paul says Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? He's talking about the law of Moses, the law of God in the Old Testament. For it's written in the law of Moses do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. You know, they used oxen back in those days to tread the grain, to go and get the grain so people could eat. But who dare would put a muzzle on the ox? The ox was going to eat some of the same grain that he was treading. That's why he says, don't muzzle an ox. And Paul says in verse 10, is he really saying it? uh, Is he really, God, really concerned about oxen? Of course, God is concerned about the animals. But really, isn't he really saying it for our sake? Paul says, yes, this is written for our sake, because he who plows ought to plow in hope. And he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things, is it too much and we reap material benefits from you? Paul said it's not just practical, it's biblical. And he references Deuteronomy 25, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And, 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 and this ox is a brutish animal who does all of this hard work and labor. But the ox at times was able to eat some of the grain that the ox was treading, right? And if God is saying, hey, make sure that the animal can eat while he's working, Shouldn't the one who labors spiritually eat while he's working too? Shouldn't he have an anticipation to share in some of the harvest? Shouldn't he? Even back further in the Old Testament, in the temple, in those who served the altar, they shared the priest and those who worked in the temple and served at the altar. They ate from what was provided from them by the people. Jesus sent out his disciples. In Luke chapter, chapter 9, but then when he gets to chapter 10, he then uh, uh, sends out the 72 disciples. He sends out the 12, and then he sends out the 72 and Luke 10. And Luke 10 7, look at what it says. Jesus says this to his disciples remain in the same house. He said, Go out and preach the gospel, do everything I told you to do, eat and drink what they offer. Here's what Jesus says For the worker is worthy of his wages. I'm, I'm giving you the biblical justification. And when people in your family ask you, oh what pastor shit, no pastor shouldn't get paid, there's a biblical precedence for it. Meaning you are entitled to be taken care of for preaching and teaching. Galatians 6 and 6 says this: those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Paul said to his son in the faith Timothy who pastored the church at Ephesus first Timothy five seventeen verse 18 for first Timothy 5 verses 17 through 18 says this the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. He says double honor. That means great respect for what he does, but it also means financial re- remuneration. It means that they should also, yeah, they should receive your applause. You should pat them on the back. You say, that's a good sermon. I was really encouraged. That was really great what you did. I love what you said help me grow my faith those are all warm and wonderful things those are great things but then he got to eat too can you imagine you go to your job on the 15th you say, you're doing a great job we don't have a check though you're gonna be like well sir ma'am you're gonna have to keep in words because 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 my baby can't eat right you, you you need you 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 want to you want to get rewarded you want to get rewarded verbally but you you also need to live this is what paul is saying if we have sown spiritual things is it too much we reap material things right here's what john calvin the great john calvin said what could be more unkind than to have no care for those who care who have care of the whole church what could be more unkind than to have no care for those who have care of the whole church and here's what paul's paul's main moment is with all of that said i build up a whole paul builds up a whole argument for why he should get paid for why he has a right to and a freedom to and here comes the football spike the steph curry night night the mic drop moment verse 14 he says in the same way The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. And Paul says, if I am suggesting you to deny yourself and forsake your freedom for the sake of others. I am willing to do the same thing. I'm asking you to relinquish your rights to eat food that may have been sacrificed to idols so that it doesn't hinder weaker brothers and sisters in the Lord or forsake your freedom to drink or freedom to listen to certain music or freedom to uh, go in certain environments so that it doesn't hinder the gospel from growing in the hearts of some. And I am willing to do the same thing. I am willing to forsake and relinquish my rights to receive compensation so that the gospel won't be hindered i have a right i'm entitled to it but i would deny what i have a right to for the sake of the gospel for the love of those that god has called me to i'll forsake and my freedom and relinquish my rights willingly and voluntarily you know paul does this because some people thought that this christian christian preacher is just like all the other speakers and philosophers coming to corinth they come in they sell us a bill of goods shake the people down for money, and then get out of town and on to the next. So Paul is like, I won't do that. If if that gets mixed up with the Christian message and people can't differentiate between the philosophers of the day who shake people down and the Christian preacher who is called and sent by God, I will refrain my right from receiving payment so that the gospel of Jesus Christ will not be hindered. He says in verse 12, if others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, although I, I I need to get paid. Now, mind you, Paul, single Paul, Paul don't have a wife. Paul don't have no kids. So it's different, right? But G- Jesus didn't have a wife. Jesus didn't have no kids. J- Jesus really didn't get, get need to get paid a lot because Jesus died when he was 33 years old. If you knew you were going to live only to be 33, you don't really need a lot of stuff anyway, do you? Why even bother <laughs> why why stretch yourself out <laughs> it's not even worth it <laughs> but he was willing to bear whatever was necessary to fulfill his work he, he said you know what if that means that, that that if i got if i take conversation and other people are going to confuse the christian the purity and sincerity of the christian message with that that nonsense of the philosophers don't pay me at all because i want people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth and I'm willing to forsake my right to get. Give. Who, who gives up their pay? Who, if, they, if your company told you, you know, we need to hire some other people, so we got to cut your pay, you would be on LinkedIn before they walked away from your <laughs> section of the building. You'd be emailing everybody you know. You'd be texting immediately. Girl, can you believe what they, j- they just tried it? Homeboy, I'm out of here. Are they hiring at your job today? I can show up now. But Paul says, I'm willing to be uncomfortable and forsake my freedom so that it's not hindering someone else. If you don't think Paul had a hard time, I want Paul to tell you in his own words in 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read from the message Bible because it it makes it clear, very clear for us. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23-27. Here's what Paul says about his own ministry. Paul says this, I've worked much harder... And been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count, at death's door time after time. I've been flogged five times with the Jews' thirty-nine lashes. I've been beaten. Uh, I've been beaten by Roman rods three times. Pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times, and immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. In hard traveling year in year out, I've had to ford rivers fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. Somebody was like, that's not like my life. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by desert sun and sea storm, betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather. And that's not even a half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches, When someone gets to the end of his rope, I feel the desperation of their struggle in my own bones. When someone is duped into sin, an angry fire burns in my gut. This is Paul's experience. Anybody who reads that will say, no, run it. Paul says, I'll forsake it. I'm willing to suffer for the greater good. Now, most present past most pastors these days don't don't have those type of struggles. At least here in the United States, they don't have those type of hardships that Paul faces. They're, they're, we're kind of exempt from those at this present moment in history. But Paul always seems to be in this posture to make major sacrifices for the sake of the gospel that God called him to. This is what God calls all of us to at times. There are many sacrifices that a woman or man makes for the call of ministry. And, and the, the, the leader is oftentimes the first person in making sacrifices. I'll tell you my own story. Some of you don't know how the outpouring started, some of you don't know the outpouring's origins. But when the outpouring started in 2015, I was working a full time career working a full-time career, preaching on Sundays, rarely taking a Sunday off in the infancy stages of our church. I was working a full-time job in wealth management and private banking during the day, studying all night, and then I would sometimes lead a life group or a small group at the time on Tuesday nights. This is a real talk. These are real things that I was actually doing at the time. Did I mention to tell you that on Wednesdays and Thursdays in the evening, I was taking classes at seminary? So let me run this back for you. There's no such thing as part-time ministry. So I'm preaching and teaching on Sundays, on Tuesdays, seminary at night on Wednesdays and Thursdays, preaching on Sundays, in the house all day on Saturdays, meeting and discipling in the morning or in the evening on Mondays, all at the same time. And get this, for the first couple of years of the church, because we were so young, some of y'all remember, y'all were here, we, all we had was college students. The only senior citizen we had in here was me. And it was a bunch of college students. And guess what college students don't have? Money. So I was taking my hard-earned money from my job, putting it into the work of the ministry. Now, caveat, I was, I was, I was doing all right. <laughs> hey, it was lit. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Yeah, it was all right. I ain't going to lie. It was all right. So, 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 but I'm taking this money and making sure that we're able to survive. I'm making sure that we're able to pay the rent. I'm making sure that we have access to everything that we need uh, as a ministry, whether that's buying flags and buying banners or other different things is coming out of the pocket because we don't have a lot of money, money in the ministry. But guess what? When I started outpouring, that wasn't my first time in pastoral ministry. I would served at another church for a few years as an elder and as a pastor in that church. And guess what? For six or seven years of my pastoral ministry, I never took one dime never took one dime. And guess what? Guess what? I don't regret one single solitary second of it. You know why I don't regret it? Because today you're here. We survived. You got a church to come to. People have gotten saved. People have gotten set free. People have grown, grown in Christ. I would willingly do it all over again for the sake of the gospel. I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. I'm not Paul. I'm not saying I didn't do it with tears. I'm not saying I didn't do it and sometimes asking myself, what the Heck do you think you're doing? I didn't I'm not saying I didn't do that sometimes, but when I look at all the beautiful people, seeing all these people when they were just babies in college, acting a fool in college, I put it over there on purpose, acting acting crazy in college, just wilding out for no reason at all. When I see them grow and mature and become husbands and wives and graduates and master's degrees and successful in careers and serving in ministry, I boast in the Lord. God, thank you for everything that we've done thank you for the sacrifices that we made because it was all worth it It it's all worth it all worth it and you're thinking man that sounds crazy that's why it's called a calling that's why it's calling a calling more time more times than not there's a burden to give up things for the sake of others he says as an apostle i have a freedom But I'm going to use my freedom to relinquish my right to receive support that's how serious I am about people getting saved why did Paul do that because Paul did not want to hinder the message of the gospel and all he's asking them to do is if there's a weaker brother or sister or an unbeliever around care enough about God and your neighbor to not use your freedom if it hinders someone else from getting saved or growing in Christ that's Paul's whole point sometimes we will have to give up things. That's the call to follow Jesus. Look, hey, you, you, that food come out, even if it's offered in sacrifice to idols, you like, hey, man, <laughs> I said grace over this thing. I don't care who they offered it to, the way it was sitting on the grill, the way it hit my nose, and they done brought in some of them lobster mashed potatoes or them roasted potatoes on the side, and they done put some of that asparagus on it and all that leafy greens around it and make it look real good and a little sauce on the table. Man, I'm about to tear this down. I'm about to tear it down. You better get with it. But you know what? Sometimes you got to say, oh, I'm hungry. Let me get it to go plate if it means it doesn't stand in the way for them. Sometimes you're like, ooh, I had a long weekend. It's Friday night. We're sitting at the restaurant, got a little white wine. Little red wine up in here. I know my max. I get like one and a half, and I'm right here with it. One and a half, and I'm right here, right here. None's gonna happen. One and a half. I can get home. I ain't crazy. I ain't gonna t- stand on the table and take my shirt off. I'm good. Right here. One and a half. White wine. One and a half. Red wine. Cause I know if I get to two, it's up. If I get to two, it's up. But I'm one and a half. But 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 the person I came with struggled with alcoholism. They just got delivered from this. They're trying not to drink. They're trying not to be a drunk. They they want to live the Christian life, and the only example they have is you. And you got a decision to make. Am I going to hinder them so that I can exercise my freedom? Because God said I could drink. He said, I just can't get drunk. Are you free? Yeah. But is your freedom really worth it? sending them down a dark path (sighs) are we that heartless because some we know people who can't handle it like that and we have to be mindful we have to love god enough and love people enough sometimes to forsake our rights last part of the message just read verses 15 through 18 i'm gonna summarize give us a couple points and we're gonna go home 15 through 18 says this, for my part, this is what Paul says, I use none of my rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied to my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I'm compelled to preach. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with the commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of. Of my rights in the gospel, and Paul's like, look, if you think that I'm doing this as some sick, twisted ploy to get money, that's not that. That's not what type of time I'm on. That's, that's not what I'm doing, Paul also received support from the macedonian churches that's why he mentions them in second corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 he talks about the macedonian churches thessalonica philippi berea he talks about them they were poor churches far poorer than the church at corinth but he's receiving support for them robbing them so that he can support and be a pastor to the corinthians free of charge as not to hinder the gospel so paul was receiving support he just wasn't receiving support from the corinthians and so here's what Paul's relinquishing of rights comes from. It's just a deep conviction. Paul had a deep conviction that it wasn't work to preach the gospel. It was a privilege. It was a privilege to, 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 to share the good news of Jesus Christ. He said, woe to me if I, don't, if I don't preach the gospel. He has no choice because to preach was a call. It was a call. And Paul says, my ultimate reward is to preach the gospel Free of charge. That's my goal, to preach it free of charge. Now, I I wonder, why why would he do that? Paul wants to preach the gospel free of charge because it's a sign of the free gift of salvation and forgiveness that is received in Christ Jesus. Paul preaches the free gospel because the gospel is free. Paul wants them to know, hey, I don't have to charge you because God didn't charge you. Jesus has paid it all. He's paid your sin debt. He set you free. My pay is actually seeing you receive the gospel. My pay is actually that I get to actually bring the good news to you. So, a couple points for you and then we're done. Here's a charge to the saints. Paul is simply Showing the people what it looks like to forsake good things for God things. I'll probably write that down if I were you. and I was taking notes. I put that in my phone. Paul is simply showing the people what it looks like to forsake good things for God things. Paul is showing the people what it looks like to forsake good things for God things. And for us, this is a call for the people of God to do something uncommon, to to give something uncommon, to forsake something uncommon and let God use your life. At some point, we have to give up something for the sake of the call of Christ. And you have to figure out what that is. And so Paul's example, here's what you need to know. Our goal is to go from watching to walking. For someone who sets an example for us, whether it be Paul or pastor, the goal is to go from watching to walking because Christianity is not a spectator sport. Love somebody, people. Love somebody enough to give up something that you are entitled to. what does this remind us of? It reminds us of our Lord Jesus. You know what 2 Corinthians 8 9 says about Jesus? It says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. He's not talking about money. He's talking about spiritual riches and we all have spiritual riches because Jesus was willing to take on our poverty, our sin. We were spiritually bankrupt. But because of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, we're all spiritually rich. What are the riches? Forgiveness, grace, mercy, love, Self-control, freedom, peace, joy, a sound mind, purpose, identity, assurance, security, heaven, God. All ours because Jesus was willing to relinquish his own rights for our sake. What is our response? To do the same thing. For somebody else. Let us pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website outpouringorlando.com to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.